Hey y'all, you're listening to episode 5 of the One Chit Wonder Board Gaming Podcast. This week I am actually without my partner Johnny, and I am in Houston visiting my dad for Father's Day, and I got to spend time with one of my best friends, Stephen Chan, and he's going to join me for a little segment about himself, and also we are going to review Burn Cycle. So Chan, how did you get to this point in the hobby? Because when we first started playing, I think I kind of started you off pretty much on the deep end and you did like a really good job about being able to keep up with plays because I think if I'm not mistaken, it was actually the day of your wedding. And I think we played Forbidden Stars at your house while we were just putzing around. Is that true? Was there something before that? Uh, I think so. There was one time where we played... No, there was a time before that for sure because uh, I know when I first think about you and getting into starting board gaming, I think the... I mean, like everyone else, the very first thing we played was Catan together at your house in Dallas. Did you really play Catan with me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I don't even remember that. Yeah, that was... And then that was when you were first getting really into Catan where you were using the app to make the map more uh, okay. more even and fair, right? Because yeah. opposed to before, we could, we could depending on how you set it up, it's overweighted one way or the other. Wow. That was really the first time. And then the only other time I really remember after that was still before my wedding. It was mainly, um, it was with Charles and we were playing Black Angel. Uh, I think it was called Black Angel. It was where the, there's a big ship and then yep. you can fall off the back end of it if it goes too far away from where you're yep. at and you're trying to stay around it. That was Black that Angel. Was, that was still before your wedding. But those are the two like main times I really remember. I don't remember any other games really between those two. Not that there might have been some, but I don't remember anyone specific besides Catan and then that, that Black Angel. Dude, that's crazy. I actually kind of blocked those, both those <laughs> games out of my memory. Catan, I remember playing so much yeah. of early on, and I honestly forgot that we even played that together. I remember Black Angel now that you mention it, yeah. but I didn't really like that game that much to start with, so it really wasn't like <laughs> something that stuck out in my mind anyway. But that's actually kind of cool because I think it's pretty safe to say that like I kind of got you like looking into this hobby. More because, so recently, yeah. Yeah, more so recently, especially after the pandemic. I remember we kind of went through a phase where you were looking at games that you could play solo so you weren't just in front of the computer yeah. all the time. And now I was actually just like in your game room and I saw like your little shelf of games and it's starting to look pretty decent. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. You know, it's hard to it's hard to be a gamer in your situation right now because like you just had a kid. Yeah. And trying to balance, you know, starting out in this hobby and juggling literally an infant yeah. is really, I like, I saw it today. We played Burn Cycle yeah. today and we had to take some breaks to take care of Ethan and we had to like, you know, just sit around and make sure he was okay. And that's not a big deal. It's just, yeah. it's great that we can even just play games together. But I can see how that could be a challenge for you and your wife to like, want to sit down and play something because at any moment Ethan could just say like hey you know stop yeah. playing pay attention to me yeah exactly I think uh, the biggest thing is that's why I think the time commitment or the time allotment to when he's not like pretty much napping or sleeping is like the window where I try to rush to get it in right so I'm sure <laughs> you notice that like most of the games are uh, I don't, I don't want to say smaller I think just the play time is faster and the setup is faster, right? So I can, if I want to, I could get it done in that 
window before he wakes up and it's all over pretty much. Hey, I mean, dude, there's nothing wrong with that because one of the things that I'm really like grateful about us being friends and playing games together is that even though you're probably newer to the hobby than almost everyone that I play with, every time we play, you're always either super competitive or you win. And I wish Johnny was here because he could tell the story about how you freaking won the first game of Root you had ever played. And that is not an easy game to like actually understand and be able to win at. So it's good that you're just really just naturally a honestly you're a natural gamer. You pick up on this stuff really easily. So it's just it's nice to just be able to play even if your collection is centered around shorter games, yeah. I guess. But there's nothing wrong with that too, because even for Karen and I, we like the games that we tend to play together are all short, smaller box games. Like we don't really have the time to sit around and play, you know, a three hour dungeon crawler like yeah. you know, me and Johnny could. But it's just nice to be able to spend time with your partner. Like the collection that Karen and I have like curated now, we play a lot of those at coffee shops, like go on little mm. coffee shop dates and play. And those are some of my favorite moments. So nothing wrong with having like shorter games, especially with like, you know, a young child or an infant at home. Yeah. So like when we started playing board games together, like obviously you were pretty open to it. Was there ever, like, a moment where you felt like, I'd rather be playing Call of Duty or I'd rather be playing Diablo instead of, you know, Gloomhaven? Like, what, like, you? I feel like you've become more interested in board games over the last year than, honestly, PC games. Because, I mean, I haven't hardly touched my PC in, like, probably the last year. There's just nothing worth playing anymore. Yeah. Uh, PC games for sure are the time spent gaming on a PC or playing PC games is way less than it was before whether that's just the natural cycle of as you get older and have more responsibilities that those things fade away um, but in terms of board games there was never a time I don't think where it it was ever like oh I'd rather be playing a PC game or a video game but you know to that since I was always playing board games with you, it was someone I knew, it was my friend. So like it's easier than if I was playing it with random people that I'd never met before, right? Because then the amount of interaction or how far I'm willing to go to win or if, if, if for example, we're playing some social deduction game, I'm not going to be doing <laughs> the things that I would do with my friends around strangers, right? Because it could just get... It could get, are, yeah, yeah, it could get bad. It could get out of control because they don't know the context, right? Um, so yeah. there was never a time where I would, when we were playing board games, I would prefer to be playing a PC game. I, but that's, again, because... You're playing, playing with friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. I mean, I would rather spend time with my friends doing anything yeah. than times with strangers, even if playing with strangers is board gaming. Yeah. Like, it's kind of funny, too, because... I think about all the times I've gone to BGG Con and Johnny and I are going to Gen Con later this year and we both have no desire to play with randos. Like that's like my biggest fear. Not because like I'm like hesitant to interact with new people, but the idea of like entering this social contract of sitting down with someone that you don't know, you don't know what their demeanor is like, you don't know how competitive they are. And you want to sit for two, three hours with this person? Like at some point, I think I would just be like, you know what? I'm not really enjoying playing with you guys. I'm just going to leave. 
But that also subsequently kind of ruins the game for them. And I feel bad about that too. So trust me, I totally get where you're coming from with like not really being interested in trying to like play games with randos. It's a, yeah, because the game itself could be that your favorite game. But if you play with random people, they're, they're dictating, well, your interactions with them and how they interact with you dictates, I think like probably what, 90% of the fun because of their you know a super alpha gamer guy oh it's yeah. not going to be fun for anybody even mm-hmm. if it's your favorite game or if it's someone that's just like not caring about whatever the aspect is whether it's winning or cooperatively playing then it's definitely not going to be fun so that that group dictates how entertaining it's going to be regardless of what game it actually is in my opinion at least yeah no I, I it's funny that you mentioned that today too because i remember when we played unsettled and today burn cycle you know we've played a lot of co-op games but our, you know, we've been friends for 20 years now, so it's really easy for us to be able to, like, work within each other's space. You know, you would offer suggestions on what would be great moves, and I would do likewise, but it never felt like you were basically telling me what to do. Yeah. And I think that's, like, something that, especially in regards to co-ops, probably turns a lot of people off if you're playing with someone that you're not familiar with. But obviously, like, we've been friends for so long. We know how our demeanor's like towards each other. It's great playing games with you. I, I wish you lived in Dallas so you could play games with us more often. You could just move to Houston. Vicky, if you're listening to this, move to Dallas. <laughs> we already have a friend network for you. But anyways, yeah, uh, it's nice because I really enjoy playing games with you. And I kind of wish that we could do it more often. But, you know live in Houston, come back every so often, you come to Dallas every so often, we're, we're able to get a pretty decent amount of time in. Like, you're actually looking at the uh, list of games that we played together, and we're at 79 games played, which is actually pretty respectable considering you don't even live in the same yeah. city as me. There's guys in my game group that haven't even broken 20 plays, and they live yeah. 30 minutes from me. But... Either way, you know, really grateful to have been able to play with you, spend time with you today. And, you know, it's actually kind of cool to be able to have you on the podcast because all the people that are in our lives are really the reason why I play board games, you know? Mm -hmm. I like to... I've said this in another podcast, which you didn't listen to, but, (laughs) but I like the kind of the recreation of what it was like when we were younger to be able to have, you know, your cousins or your friends come over and you're playing Xbox and just hanging out. This is the exact same thing, but now all the games are played online. There's really no reason to come over to play Call of Duty when we could play on our computers and not have to even put on pants. <laughs> so that's this is a nice perk, and I'm grateful that you put on pants for our game today. Just this time. Next time. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Next time, no pants. That's going to be uh, the Patreon episode. <laughs> The No Pants <laughs> podcast. Uh, so, you know, like we, I was kind of talking about, you're a relatively newer gamer. You've been playing a lot of heavy games with me, you know. Like Chan's played Root, Forbidden Stars. We've played Eclipse, Nemesis. Like you have no fear of playing complicated games. But I do know that you tend to try... You have a very particular standard to make these games really appeal to you you've told me before about fiddliness and length of play and the amount of rules overhead those are huge deterrents for you i don't think length length of play isn't it's the downtime between my turn between between my action 
all the way around, right? Yeah. If I'm waiting 30, 40 minutes for my turn, it's hard for me to stay engaged oh, every, yeah. for every round, right? You for and multiple rounds. Yeah, you and everyone, though. That's that's a product of just maybe a combination of poor game design and also players that maybe just are a little analysis paralysis prone. Yeah, that makes but sense. But tell me... Actually, you know what? Tell me... The three, like, if you can remember, because I know you're not, you don't track any of these plays or whatever. What what three games are the most memorable games for you? Like, the most fun, the things that, like, always stick out when you think about playing board games? Uh, of recent, that I can recall, I think, you know, we, we started, not started, but we played Marvel Champions heavily, whether it be on Tabletop uh, Simulator or... Uh, in person it's still those, my most played game and yeah. i haven't owned it for over a year <laughs> yeah so those were really really um those were really memorable especially the in-person ones i don't really remember well maybe they all kind of meld together in terms of how close it is to defeat or loss at the very final um uh, whatever it is the final threat or whatever it was called um that one uh any of those social deduction like nemesis unfathomable even though we never win it's always <laughs> i won pretty entertaining for the most part most of the times uh, mainly because there's that interaction where uh i think nemesis for sure or, or unfathomable is while i'm it's not my turn you know there is concern about what other people are doing so it keeps me engaged or everyone engaged so they can't just like go look on their phone between their turn because it's not going to matter until the end um and then I think the one the one I remember was a lot is Cthulhu Death May Die. We were playing on tabletop simulator with Charles <laughs> and we were just steamrolling everything, but then we, we got real greedy. Yeah. And then you sat yeah. still in the room for like three <laughs> rounds doing nothing. And we I think we won, but we, we still all, won. Yeah, but barely. Yeah. That the so I like all those games, you know, like Nemesis is in my top five. Cthulhu Death May Die is rated a 10 for me. Uh, Unfathomable was also really good, but since I own Battlestar, like, I didn't really see the reason to keep both of them. Yeah. Like, I love all these games. Like, that's probably one of my re the reasons why I like playing with you so much. You like the same games that I do. But between all the stuff that you're talking about, like, I noticed that the trend kind of is you like to be engaged when it's not your turn. I can also argue that with especially Nemesis and Unfathomable, those are a lot of games with a lot of discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of table yeah. talk and kind of not yelling at people, but you know, it can get pretty with, heated. Same thing with Marvel Champions, right? Even though it's not my turn, there's still interaction yeah. with, hey, maybe do this. Maybe or do this that. or I can handle this, you can handle that. Yeah. If you don't have to do that, I'll do this. Where that where that that's the kind of thing. But and yeah, and like you were saying, the table talk of accusing people effectively. <laughs> That's the most fun. I love, I love table talk. And in previous podcasts, you know, Johnny and I have talked about the games that we enjoyed the most. And one of the ones was Uprising, the one we played the day of my wedding. Yeah. I, we lost terribly at yeah. which was my fault. Very quickly. Like, we lost so bad. But one of the things about those kind of games is especially for co-ops there has to be a big enough decision space where you can collaborate and try to find like an optimal situation together and it's like a fine balance because if the space is too big yeah. 
it leads to a lot of downtime and you're just trying to figure it out. We had that situation today in burn cycle. I was just deliberating what I should do. And you're like, dude, there's like two options. Just pick one. It's fine. And it worked out. Yeah. But you have to have a space big enough where one player can't just make the optimal choice every time because that eliminates the need to cooperate at all. But too big, then you risk downtime. So I like that when we've played a lot of games recently, you know, especially I'm thinking about Burn Cycle today, Unsettled, um, Too Many Bones, Uprising, and what else have we played that we've really enjoyed? I can't think of a fifth one, but those four games alone has been the sweet spot for us. Oh, Marvel United has been the sweet spot for us as far as being able to stay engaged when it's not your turn, but also it's deep enough where there's a lot of table talk and a lot of decision space that you can't just, you know, go through the motions. Like you have to think about what you're doing. Yeah, it, yeah, like you're saying, the decision space needs to be, it can't be so basic in terms of, well, everyone knows what everyone needs to do because it's so obvious, right? There's going to be those times, but having that, effective chance for someone else to be like hey maybe this is a another idea that may or may not be better we should just think about it before we do anything is 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 nice because if it's just oh this is the obvious choice every time yeah then i'm just gonna not care because it's not my turn so i'm gonna ask you a question and it might be a little above your pay grade but we're gonna try it anyway sure so you and i and our play of unsettled Plus, our play of Spirit Island convinced me that I no longer needed Spirit Island. That's a big deal because generally people think that Spirit Island is probably one of the best co-op games ever made. Like, you've played Spirit Island with me. Huge decision space. Lots of variability. Lots of stuff. But we both talked about this. I asked you to play Spirit Island with me because I wasn't sure if I needed Unsettled and Spirit Island in my collection. I ultimately chose Unsettled over Spirit Island mostly because the way that difficulty scaled up for Spirit Island felt more like upkeep and arbitrary than actually the scenario itself being harder. One of the biggest things that I look for in co-ops now is the way Unsettled handles difficulties. The planets are unique and each one presents a different set of challenges and however abstract or thematic they may be, it feels like a different experience. This obviously comes at a cost of replay value because once you know what you need to do, it becomes more solvable versus Spirit Island where the amount of variety and combinations of powers and adversaries and difficulties is near infinite, but the puzzle's the same every time, except that they give you these little modifiers. Like the advanced game that we played All the slow powers were fast, Hmm. and we could, I think, uh, what was it, like, upgrade for cheaper or something? And it just, it changed the feel of the game, but not enough in the mechanics of how you need to win. Like, the strategy part was different, because we realized after we played it, we were like, well, we should have did this differently, and that would have won the game for us, or at least would help us win the game better. But that wasn't as satisfying for me. And I don't know if that was something that you noticed because, like, honestly, you're the reason why I sold Spirit Island. I had everything for Spirit Island and I got rid of it because of you. Yeah, so for me, in the comparison, the, the main thing that comes to mind immediately is 
I think you mentioned it, upkeep phase or upkeeping the game. Unsettled, it seemed fairly quick, right? We make our moves, whatever happens based off of time and, and the next the next uh, section of the planet we go to takes care of itself in, effectively in between our moves. And then the story card is doing whatever the story card is doing. The thing that I, I kind of, while I was surprised that Spirit Island was something that I liked less than Unsettled was mainly because, you know, in general, we like, well, I like, I'll say boss battlers or where you're fighting something. Whereas in Unsettled, you're not doing any, you're not doing any of that, right? You're just effectively just walking around. Mm, and, and yeah, I mean, you're you're. It's it's a spin on pandemic. You're yeah. dealing with like a constant cascade of just. But there's no like opponents. combat, combat no. where like in in Spirit Island you can actually kill someone, well, knock it off the, the map. Like I guess, yeah. So, and then, I, I I you know thinking about it, I think in Spirit Island, if I think hard enough, and know all the cards that are coming out in the um, I forgot what the adversary phrase, deck. Yeah, in the, the adversary deck. deck I could literally just count the cards in my head if I knew it well enough mm -hmm. to know exactly what's going to happen time over time. And to optimize the win, you can do that, right? If you were, if you really wanted to try to push a win hard, you could think about all the cards that are coming up. You know, in general, how many of each card exists. So if you've seen it before, you're counting the deck. And you could kind of figure out the upcoming mystery, the encounter puzzle. Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. I think that, you know... Maybe partially due to just like what I think we had maybe two plays of it together, one in person, two maybe two in person and one maybe on tabletop yeah. simulator. Yeah, like you have a decent number of plays. Like it is the kind of thing. It is the kind of game where the depth of decisions is so big. Yeah, that it is impossible for one person to control everything, which you know people call quarterbacking. Yeah, and I like that aspect of it. And you kind of hinted at this, maybe a little bit like inaccurately, just with terminology and stuff. The thing with Spirit Island, especially for me, is that the decision space is so big that in order to truly play at maximum like efficiency and at the make the most optimal moves, you just have to deliberate for a lot input a lot of data like you said you know you're thinking about what cards are left in the invader deck what cards are in your hand the state of the board yeah and you're sitting there thinking about okay these guys are going to move here they're going to move there these guys are going to do this and that's great there are some people who love that but for me and especially for you talking about how finding even time to play an hour-long game is already difficult as it is i just don't get that same satisfaction from mathing out these situations like in unsettled obviously you have to be very efficient we've lost so many times yeah. because we're putzing around but it never felt like i was doing math it felt like i was trying to find the most efficient solution but it wasn't a series of calculations yeah the choice space is smaller yeah like i don't have like 15 potential choices i can make and unsettled it's you yeah, know it's, it's like very choices. yeah it's super yeah. simplified so i think uh, something we kind of touched on before was pacing, right? Pacing from turn to turn and pacing of the game. In Spirit Island, if you really, really wanted to win, you could take a long, long time to plan the next move out. And that's just not appealing to me personally because I, I just like something that's moving. That doesn't mean the game needs to last go for only an hour. It can go four hours. But as long as I have that feel that we're progressing forward or making 
choices at a decent pace. It's like, you know, in your burn cycle kind of um, where you're mentioning that you were kind of stuck trying to figure out what to do. That it, that was actually a long time, but it didn't feel that bad because it was only one time in the yeah. game where we had that issue. It wasn't every turn could be like that in um, Spirit Island as opposed to Unsettled. Like you said, there's not that's not going to happen that often. Maybe yeah. near the end when you're you're pushing the, for the very last bit, but it, it never felt like that. We played like, what, four or five times in a row? Oh, yeah. And it never felt like I was like, we were just waiting to try to figure out the most optimal thing to do every turn. We played the same mission yeah. on the same planet five times in a row, all resulting in losses. And I've never been in that kind of position where I kept wanting to come back and try to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, and it was only in like a four-hour window, too. Yeah. In the four-hour time of the game. And we almost won like twice. I think twice. Yeah. yeah. But versus Spirit Island, like... One of the things that I've noticed about what I like in co-ops is I like games that present you a different puzzle every time you play. You know, with the variability of the planets and uh, the missions on each planet of Unsettled, it feels really different. And I say that without even going past the first planet, (laughs) but I know for a fact that, you know, you're not going to be trying to do the same mission on every planet. Yeah. Versus Spirit Island, it's the same thing. Don't let the invaders get out of control. And that, to me, is kind of like circles back to a conversation Johnny and I had about solo gaming. For solo gaming, I do not like games where all you want to do is just score a certain number of points. And your goal is to really just beat your score or beat a arbitrary number or like some kind of AI score. I like games where you have to fulfill certain objectives, something within a certain amount of time. And that's one of the things that, coming back to Unsettled, which we played a lot of together, you win that game by fulfilling the objectives. There's no victory points. And Spirit Island, there's no victory points either, but the objective's the same every time. It might as well just be score 100 points and you just, you're going to win. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that who are listening to this and are like, you guys are idiots. Yeah, for sure. Spirit Island is the best for sure. co-op game ever made. And I'm not arguing... Like, for the record, I'm not arguing that the game isn't good. I loved playing Spirit Island. But just at the point of where I am now in the groups that I have, no one wants to sp- no one wants to think yeah. that hard. Yeah. Like, you know, we want to have fun. And I used to consider myself a real heavy gamer. And now I'm really circling back to medium, maybe medium heavy at most for certain big games. But like Karen and I are the games we play 30 minutes, really quick, easy to set up, easy to tear down. And on the occasion that we get together for a big game or like a day like today where we had the afternoon to hang out together, Burn Cycle is just right in that like perfect weight where we were able to get going and it felt very satisfying, but it wasn't something that just was like, a drag to teach or play through, you know, especially for our first play for, uh, at two players for me, at least. Yeah. The burn cycle was, I think even for me, even maybe on the lighter side in decision space, but it was very close to that point where I, it, it would have easily, it, you know, making the game a little bit more complicated could have easily pushed it out into that. Okay. Well, this next turn is going to take 20 minutes to figure out what, oh, what one person is going to do. No, thank you. Yeah. I, I think, Spirit Island is a good game, I get it, but it's just not for me in the time in, in my, in how I I choose to play games nowadays. It's, I, yeah, it's 
that's why you know most of these heavy euros aren't also for me because oh yeah you could just math it out i I can't spend i don't want to spend the time to just think so hard to lose (laughs) effectively (laughs) well to be fair we just don't think at all we still lose so yeah but yeah but that's way better that's way better that's easier for me all right so this seems like about as perfect time as any to segue to burn cycle but before we do do you have a favorite game? Something that you've played with me or even something you played with Vicky? Is Do you have something that if you had, like, you know, say you come to Dallas and you're like, hey, I'm coming, I want to play games, can we play X or whatever? No, I don't ever think I, I don't know. I, I don't think I have a favorite. I have things I enjoy, but then I realize, you know, like, oh, let's go, let's go to Nemesis for a really good example because I do enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know playing that every time, could make it just not entertaining at some point, right? Oh, yeah. So it's exhausting. Yeah. So playing new games, while I kind of roll the dice there in terms of I might hate this or this might be not fun at all for me specifically. Um, yeah, that's the case. But it's more enjoyable than you know just repeating the same game over and over. Oh, dude, even you're, though you're uh, my soulmate. This even is, though this I do I like hear. even though I do like things like I could play Cthulhu Death May Die multiple times. If we play different scenarios, it probably is going to be different every time. But do I want to play it every single time? No, uh, probably not. Uh, I just, yeah, just it's going to be super repetitive, right? Yeah. You're like a fledgling podcaster, board game podcaster's dream. Because it's so hard to get people to want to play new games all the time. Some of the things that like Johnny and I have talked about is... We have all these Kickstarters that came in in the past week or past month or so. And, you know, people who follow us on Instagram will see, oh, they got Guards of Atlantis. They got Massive Darkness too. They got So You've Been Eating. But we haven't even gotten a chance to podcast about these because we haven't got a chance to get these new games to the table. We finished Descent finally, and now we're moving on to the next campaign. And, like, I want to play these new games, but, man, there, there is something to be said about exploring a game that you love because i think about us playing uprising and i almost brought it this weekend to play with you yeah i thought about it i i was gonna i, I was gonna suggest it. it but i needed to get an episode out and podcasting has already impacted the kind of games that i choose to play but it's okay though because you know spoiler alert i actually really enjoyed playing burn cycle today and we're gonna go into that right now so Burn Cycle is the newest release from Chip Theory Games. Uh, Much like Chip Theory's MO, everything is neoprene. Everything are these very heavy, sturdy uh, poker-style chips. And the game is just, honestly, maybe sometimes a little over the top as far as production values go. But it is an excellent tactile experience. I just, I love handling all the components and I will never complain about the cost of a chip theory game because you can see it all in the quality of materials that they put into it. So Burn Cycle is a cooperative stealth-based game where you take the role of a bunch of different robots that will have different abilities, one passive that you get right off the bat, and a couple different ones that you can level up. Actually, three exactly from what I've seen. Uh, you and your teammate will each control your own bot called an agent. 
and you will also control a third NPC bot simultaneous, or not simultaneously, but cooperatively control this bot, and that's gonna be called your command module. So as you play this game, you are gaining power to build and uh, to buy powers, uh, special abilities, and also to purchase more powerful dice. And you're gonna use these dice to allocate as kind of like action points spent on movement, opening doors, even fighting the robots if you have to. So one of the things that makes this game kind of different from anything that I've played is that their AI is managed with a honestly pretty clever line of sight system that was very efficient, very straightforward, and they will basically be on the lookout for you as you move around the map. While you're trying to complete these objectives, the bots will also patrol, and as you generate noise, they may come and explore the area where you're at. So one of the things that is we're always paying attention to in this game is not only where we will end up at the end of our turn, but where the guards will end up. So the game is played basically over a series of rounds where both players will take their turns following, followed by the security's turn. So you and your teammate will have a chance to position yourselves to be in relatively safe spots before the guards activate and try to hunt you down. If they do find you, you don't necessarily lose, but you do take quote unquote damage represented in the form of losing power. Since this power is also used to buy dice and abilities, anytime you take damage, you actually get weaker on how much you're able to do with your dice and also the powers that you can perform. We only played one scenario. We played a three story uh, level one complexity just to kind of get our feet wet with a two player um, player count. I had previously played solo twice and I will say that I thoroughly enjoyed playing two players. I liked it much better than playing solo. I felt that the table talk was a big deal. I think that when we were playing today, we got into a lot of pretty great discussions about what we needed to do and kind of where we needed to go. And obviously you're not gonna get that with playing solo. That's not, there's no fun at all in there. But what did you think? Like, did you, do you have anything that was noteworthy for you? At least regarding table talk? Uh, yeah, I think it was good. It reminded me, <laughs> funny enough. Unsettled? No, no, not really. The The command module for sure reminded me of Unsettled. But um, this reminded me for some reason way more of uh, Wild Ascent or when we played Wild Ascent together. Really? Yeah, because there was a lot of strategy in Wild Ascent in terms of uh, who's going to do what. Mainly because you're going to capture on two turns. It takes you two turns to capture, mm -hmm. right? So it was a lot of positioning. While the positioning for us wasn't like the main thing, I think the strat optimizing the turns in terms of trying to get the most out of every turn before we take a punishment on the, on the burn cycle portion was actually the, the most entertaining part uh, in terms of table talk. Because we didn't, re we as part of our usual, didn't really do any combat because we were too scared. No. Dude, combat, I, I had read that people said that it's easy to beat this game if you just kill all the guards. And I honestly have no idea how they did that because I played like the, the punchy guy and I don't think I could have killed any of the guards. No, we like, had issues breaking down the walls. Yeah, we couldn't even hardly break down the walls. Yeah. I don't know where people were getting this from. But um, that, that actually was something that I totally forgot to mention in the kind of like the little blurb about the game 
it's not the game is advertised as a action programming game but it's really not the burn cycle represents the number of actions you can take and by attributing certain um, chips from your pool you can actually get a what they call an optimized action which gives you some slight perks to the action you would have taken anyway so for example if you have a physical chip in spot one of the burn cycle you can take any action you want but if you take a physical action you'll get an additional two action points to your uh the pool of dice that you roll and speaking how you know talking about combat and breaking down walls sometimes you really need those extra two like when we had to break down that wall just to be able to get out i needed not only the plus two from the physical chip, but I also needed a plus two from my own passive ability just to be able to get through this wall. Like it was very important that the chips landed where they needed to be. And there is a little bit of a programming in that aspect, knowing that you need to have a certain chip at a certain point in the burn cycle. But it also wasn't like, oh, I put this chip in the wrong place, I, my turn is absolutely yeah. toast. I like that a lot. It was I think an that option. was great. It was an yeah. option as opposed to something that's going to... It can. It felt like it can help you win more than it's going to hurt you if you don't have... The, if you have nothing better and you have to put something there. Yeah. It didn't ever felt like it was a punishment. It's just like, oh, I wish that turn could have been a little bit better. It, yeah. it wasn't punishing. Like the gaming geniuses that we are, we both picked bots that contributed <laughs> zero tech chips. Exactly. And we still won. Yeah. You know, it was it was close, but you know, it, it gives you that flexibility. And the fact that the burn cycle degrades at the end of every player's turn is actually kind of like a really nice feeling of escalating tension. Because it throws just enough randomness in there for you to really count on having say that physical action bonus on slot two. But if the burn cycle degrades right on that spot, you either have to replace it with another physical chip where if you don't have it, you're SOL. And yeah. then now you got to improvise. Yeah. There was a lot of the times, especially uh, towards the end of our game, when our burn cycle got reduced to two actions, we were just like, please God, just let this degrade on this spot so I can still keep this action. And that kind of like that wrench that they throw, that's the kind of that's the kind of obstacles that I like. It was very simple, yeah. it was easy to manage, and it forced you to basically think about your plans, but it wasn't in a way where you're just absolutely unable to do it. You can still do the action, but it's gonna be a lot harder without that uh, optimized action chip there. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, if we don't get this, it's we're effectively for sure going to lose. It was more like, okay, this is cool. This is would help us win really heavily. If we don't, we still have a chance, but it just makes it harder. Oh, yeah. Right. And I also really liked as part of the burn cycle board is our command module um, robot. Like the passive ability that he gave us actually really changed how we could have approached the scenario because we had really good control over the network. And a lot of that was attributed to the command module being allowing us to move forwards and backwards on the network map. So burn cycle, when I first looked at the way the rules were and how they advertised the game, I thought that the network was going to be so cumbersome and so difficult to manage. But in reality, it was actually probably very instrumental to us winning. Because uh, for us to coordinate the burn cycle, 
which you only have three different colored chips. But these colored chips also dictates how far you can move on the network map, which means that the faster you move through the network map, the faster you can pick up the bonuses from the hubs, which are scattered sporadically throughout the network. These hubs, you know, they reduce your threat, they increase the power of your network, they sometimes even grant you other bonuses, but without having and optimizing the ability to take those, I think that we would have had a much harder time winning. And that's another thing about the burn cycle that I really appreciated because when you have this burn cycle where you have to not only optimize the cycle for your actual actions on the main map, but you also have to factor in where your uh, IP marker is gonna go as it moves around the network map. You need those bonuses because after every play around, the threat escalates and if you ever reach the maximum threat on the uh, corporation track, you just lose. So you have to manage the network map in order to keep your threat under control and at certain breakpoints, the threat will throw additional obstacles at you and you're just constantly reacting to these things. I love that. I thought that was a really cool way that the two, honestly, three parts of the game, the main board, the burn cycle, and the network map all kind of meshed together in one cohesive package. Like it never, even though we were doing three different things, they all worked around each other in a way that it just kind of felt really cohesive to me, you know? Like I really like that part of just bringing it all together. Yeah, so for me, I, I yeah, when I first watched uh, like how to play on, on, on Burn Cycle, I think the thing I was most concerned about was the network. I was like, I, mainly because you're watching a video, right? So it's kind of hard to fully grasp what's gonna happen. I thought that was like, man, this part is going to be super fiddly, easy to mess up. In the end, it was super easy to man, like to, to remember to do. It wasn't a big thing. I'm actually going to go against the grain on you. Really? And I don't, I never felt under pressure from it. I, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying it wasn't part of the game. It definitely was. But I just never felt under pressure. But this also could be a system of the uh, command module we use allowing us the freedom in the in, in the in the direction right yeah so it was not a in terms of I we I in my opinion I never really thought about oh let's place these chips in this order so I can go in this specific route because it always allowed me the option to of go the op backwards. opposite direction so I had the choice right so I could I could go back or forward as necessary depending on whatever chip was there so to me maybe that could just be a function of the command module we had maybe a different one it would i would have felt more pressure but i i honestly never really felt pressure on the the network that's actually a pretty good point now that i think about it because for on the network map each player will have their own ip marker and it moves around the network map the corporation will also put out red markers called pings that will move around the map, the network map systematically. If the if the corporation's ping finds you, they punt you back to the start, which is bad because the deeper you get into the network, the better the bonuses are. On the first layer of the network, all your all it does is that all the hubs will give your network strength plus 1. But when you get to the second layer, it reduces your threat simultaneously buying you more time to beat the game and when you get to the third layer crap i don't even remember what the third layer gives you 
but they they escalate yeah, in how it. beneficial it is for you. So it the game encourages you to move deeper into the layer, but since the corporation's uh, pings start in the middle, it's really dangerous because if the if the corporation's ping uh, comes into contact with your access point or your uh, IP point. It boots you back to the beginning, thus resetting your spot in the network. I think we were able to avoid a lot of that pressure and that tension generated from there because we could move backwards. We could yeah. always move away. Yeah, we could always move the opposite yeah. direction. And it was really nice because I, like, when we saw that command module ability, we're, I was like, wow, this thing is like ridiculously overpowered. And I'm curious as to see how different that same scenario would have been if we had a different command module even if we played the same bots yeah yeah i wonder how different it would have been if more pressure from the network like we might have had threat as an issue because when we entered the last story we had about uh 10 threat left of of uh yeah before we lost about and we were able to get that threat down because we kept hitting those level two nodes yeah so i don't know Maybe, but it was also, you know, the simplest scenario, yeah. so who knows? It could be a lot harder on the later difficulties. I just think back, and in terms of the, I guess the network part is the effective, more or less the programming portion, right? Because that's, as you place your mm. chips, that's the that's the part you're kind of thinking a little bit further ahead. But really, when I was placing my chips and making the decisions on how, where to place my chips along the burn cycle, it was never a function of, I should place it here because it's going to make me a, a network effect. It's going to affect my network. It was always a function of, oh, how can what this help, to do. Yeah, help, help us do what we need to do physically outside the network? That, yeah. That's why I don't ever never I felt like it was that. under any pressure there. But again, it could be because we had the freedom to go in any direction. Yeah. So if we needed to, we could just go the opposite way. There was a couple times where I remember looking at the network map and seeing uh, how I could move quicker because I knew I wanted to get some of those deeper la uh, layer bonuses. But you're right. Most of the time you'll kind of look at the main map and say, oh, I need to move. Yeah. I need to access this terminal. I need to break down this key do uh, code. It was like, you, you kind of knew what you needed to do. Yeah. And that's both, I guess, simultaneously a pro and a con because your decision space is relatively small. One of the chief complaints that I heard about this game is that all you do is move. You move around, open a door, move around, open a door. I can see where people got this idea from because the majority of what you're trying to do is moving. It's a yeah. stealth-based yeah, game. Yeah, it's a stealth-based game. Yeah. Because if you're looking for combat, why would you play a stealth-based game in the first place, you know? So one of the things that I really enjoy about moving around this map is kind of like the, I won't say push your luck, but you kind of have to think about how many dice you have to contribute to be able to execute your plan because you only get a number of actions equal to the number of chips in the burn cycle and if you want to be too conservative with the amount of dice that you're contributing you're not going to be able to get where you need to go you just wasted an action and if you put too much into it and you burn all your dice on this one roll you might not have enough on a later action to be able to take a terminal action or unlock a keypad. I like that a lot. I like being able to kind of push my luck with, I mean, maybe not push your luck, that might not be the right word, but just kind of like 
allocate the amount of dice. And you have to think about future actions too of what you need to do. And there's that fun little gambling feel when you want to try to move four spaces, but you want to use the least amount of dice possible. I like that a lot. And despite people complaining about the game being roll to move, which is a pretty outdated concept, like, you know, thinking about moving around the map in Monopoly, it's, I thought this was cool. I like that there's a possibility for failure and you're punished for being too conservative and you're also punished for being too greedy. Finding that sweet spot was nice. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It definitely is 100% roll to move, right? Unless you've optimized, right? So you get two moves for free, but it never felt like, um, yeah, Monopoly is a good thing, right? You're looking for XYZ number, you don't get it, and then it's like, man, that sucked. What a but, waste of a turn. But, but it's it never, your fault. Yeah, so it never felt like that. I did like the, I'll just call it a puzzle of dice allocation, even though it's more like, gambling it is gambling for sure because the biggest feel is bad is i need to move two so i'm gonna use two dice and then they both roll two so i'm (laughs) i have four move but i only needed two so just wasted wasted a dice right so but the game does combat that pretty well by letting you split your movement with the command module yeah but even then it never felt bad like it didn't feel like the gamble part felt nice even though sometimes you lose on both sides, right? Yeah. You're, you're not optimized on your move or you just don't get to move the move you want to. It right? doesn't feel bad because it's yeah. your fault because yeah, you doesn't... knew exactly how many dice you were putting yeah. into it. It never felt bad. Yeah, it's different like, you know, playing Catan. You might have eights and sixes all over the map, yeah. but if no one rolls an eight or six, yeah, you're just like, what? Yeah. It's out of your control. This gives that control to you, which I also like. So was there something that you didn't like about this game? Yeah, I think we. Oh, I kind of mentioned it to you before we even started the game. I said it seemed like, not fiddly, I guess, but there was a lot of uh, upkeep and a lot of things to kind of uh, remember, right? So, for example, <clears throat> trying to maintain the order in which you do things is going to affect how the game plays out, like any game. So, like, remember when we were entering a room, we need to roll a, a surveillance dice or whatever it was mm-hmm. called. There was times where we kind of forgot about it and had to do it like (laughs) after, uh, right? Not that that affected us really greatly in any way, but things like that kind of make it more, uh, feel like you have to follow this systematic approach, like move, check all these things. Okay, those things are done. Next step. And sometimes that takes the flow of the game away. But granted, I think... Those are some things that just happen when you play games for the first time, right? If we had played this game three or four times, I don't think any of those things would be that much of a concern, right? Um, Granted, we rarely play games three or four (laughs) times, so those things always happen. We're podcasters now, Chan. We're podcasters. (laughs) This is we play new games only. Yeah. Uh, I actually will agree with you. Um, About halfway through the play, I still was just like always referring back to the rule book to like okay what does this symbol mean what does this symbol mean one of the biggest grievances and chip theory i don't know where you guys decided to skimp out on this but we really needed a player aid that wasn't attached to the rule book because it's honestly it it should just be out at all times like it we needed it at all times and going in and out of the rule book to re- reference it was just honestly kind of a pain. But the thing that is exactly what you're saying, 
first half of the game, I was always looking through the rule book trying to figure out, okay, the ping moves this way. If there's not on a hub, then it has to go back. And if it is on a hub, you roll one for each one that's on. It's, it was such a mess. But at the halfway point, the network just clicked. And it just, yeah. it, it went so fast. It was easy. And I will say, you are right. There are so many little things that we forget. Like, we were almost a, over halfway through the game before I even realized that the guards had special abilities because... I have the badass brass minis that are magnetized to the top of the chips. So you don't look at the chips. But I don't look at the chips anymore. <laughs> yeah, you don't look at the chips. Like, I was like, oh, this guy moves three. I'll remember that. And I just moved him. I forgot all about the abilities. Those kind of things, like some UI issues, user interface issues that could have been fixed. But truth be told, that's probably more on my part, just not paying as much attention. It is a first play. I do see that improving a little bit. But I definitely agree. The fact that the reference sheet is in the rule book and not its own page, plus constantly checking the movement, the line of sight, the range of vision that the guards have, and also their patrol routes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it is a little bit kind of like, okay, what does this guy do? You're always checking, and it's not as smooth as it yeah. could have been. But this is CTG's nature. We've played too many bones together. We both love too many bones. But this is like their thing. They don't care. They, they want to create the most thematically variable experience possible. And the consequence of that is just little onesie, twosie things that you're constantly checking. So, and, yeah. So you mentioned like when you were playing it solo, it wasn't as entertaining as... It was as a, so much stuff yeah, to keep track yeah, of. Yeah, so that so in terms of solo for me, whenever I look at that, these like this much, uh, I'll call it upkeep, is just it's not going to happen for me because at that point it thinks like i'm doing a lot more work more work than i am of quote unquote playing the game even though you know it is part of it but uh these this is the type of game for me like i get it that complexity level you want to make it as thematic as possible it's a definitely a multiplayer game right you know we played at two i could easily easily see three to four being pretty okay as well too i think four the downtime could get pretty bad I think three is a pretty sweet spot. It could be depending on how you know those other two people you play with True. make their decisions, right? Sometimes True. it's sometimes someone wants to overanalyze, but again, it the makes turns that, are fast. Yeah, but it makes that that complexity worth it. I guess you can say like all the all this extra rules. What does this specifically do? Let's check what the special ability of this guard is. It makes it more worth it for your time because there's more people playing. So it's not like I'm gonna sit here, I have an hour. It's going to be me spending 30, 40 minutes of that hour referencing and then reading what this guy's ability is. Yeah. I uh, bounced off the solo mode for this pretty hard. I had um, heard some other content creators talk about how this game is best played as solo. And I'm, I'm very averse to playing two-handed solo anyway. So not only on top of playing two-handed solo, it was just too much going on like the upkeep yeah. the fiddliness and maybe as i learn the game better i'm more inclined to play solo but there's just other games that just set up so fast and that leads to probably my biggest complaint about burn cycle the setup for the game isn't terrible at first when you open the box you know all your chips are in the tray 
uh, all the neoprene tiles are kind of nicely organized in the little carrier. All the cards are already in the card holder. So really you just set everything up and you're good to go. The most cumbersome part about the initial setup is just finding the tiles and putting them on the map. The problem that came for me, especially regarding this, was when we changed floors. That was a major pain. And this was the first time where I really think that the company's um, insistence on using neoprene mats instead of just regular cardboard boards actually hurt the game. Because in my mind, if I had a board and I go to the second level, hey, I'm just going to flip this thing over. We're ready to go. Let's start playing again. Yeah. Because the maps are the same. Every corporation, when you play against like Need Chain or whatever it's called. Oh, really? All three floors are the same. The quests are different. Oh. The bots you use are different. But every floor is the same. Uh -huh. And now if I wanted to play four missions in, or oh, four... Yeah, you're constantly resetting it from <laughs> every forever. story. This should have been a board. A hundred percent. You play the first story, flip it over, play the second story, and then you pull over a third board, you're good to go. But this comes at a cost of variety because there's four different buildings that you're exploring, each with three levels. So now you're looking at what? Uh, 12 different stories. You're going to need six boards. And that's kind of cumbersome to mess with too. I think that the scale of the game being full-size poker chips kind of hurts it because you make these giant uh, neoprene mats to play on. But if you kind of shrink things down by 20, 30%, you could probably fit it onto a game board that's just not massive. And then that way you can just flip the board over as you go between the different stories of the buildings. But then now you can't see the information on the chips as easily. So it's just like some of these, uh, the insistence on using these components actually hurt this game. I've actually read that somewhere from another content creator's review and I'm actually 100% in agreement Neoprene was a bad choice for this because it made, like, you, we hit this great flow and we made it to the elevator. We were already, like, we, we thought we lost. So excited to go to the next level. But just changing out all the tiles. Oh, man, yeah. that was the worst. That's my least favorite part of this game. Everything else was pretty cool. But just anytime you change the stories, it's just 15 minutes. Just, you got to do it. And that, yeah. I count that towards the setup, you know? like. Yeah. The first setup might have been only 15 minutes, but every setup in between each story is 15 minutes. You're looking at 45 minutes of setup. That's a long time. Yeah. And then and then you think about, luckily, this was the first time we played, and then we actually won. Very mm -hmm. few. Imagine if we got the floor two or three and then had to reset. Oh, I, think, I think we would just called it, right? Yeah, if we were on sure. floor three and then we you know failed... We, even though we were close, I think we would have just said, okay, we're done here. Just yeah. because going all the way back would be uh, not the most entertaining thing for the next whatever hour. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it just puts you in a position where you had already set this up. Like, yeah, you already know what's going to be there. Yeah, it's like, why, why make it so modular? And it's just so frustrating, you know? Like, I get it for like Cthulhu, Death May Die, Zombicide... Like, like they use these tiles, but they build out a variety of different maps. Yeah. Every time you play against this corporation, it's the same map. Yeah. It did not need to be so modular. Yeah, and I don't think, back to your comment on neoprene or cardboard or just a game board, I don't think 
if it was a board, it would have taken away from the experience no, in the least, no, right? Definitely I, I not. understand like the the network being neoprene and then the player board being neoprene. That was great. If it was a board, okay, I could for sure see it not being the best just because of how you're you know inserting your little pegs. The but pegs. yeah, but for the board itself, yeah, I agree. It it would have been way faster for sure. Yeah, and also now you look at this situation where this company, which I love this company by the way. They make these products using this technique and using these insistence on these components. What if the game was cheaper? Yeah. You know? For like sure. so now, even though I like this company and the components and the feel of playing with them, I can't help but think about this game could have been twenty, thirty, fifty dollars less if we used cardboard for the boards instead of neoprene. And it would have made the game actually faster, easier to set up. Like this kind of stubbornness about using neoprene as a, instead of cardboard really hurt them here. And that's probably my number one complaint. You know, like we talked about the um, fiddliness being kind of like a minor issue. And then also kind of some of the, um, I guess, really just the ambiguity of a lot of the outlier rules that we came across. Like we were always kind of looking up stuff. Yeah. but. I can attribute that a little bit to the first play. Um, but overall, you know, I haven't played a ton of stealth games that weren't like hidden movement games, you know, where it was mm. like a 1v all. So for like a co-op stealth game... Oh, you know what? I take that back. We played Burgle Brothers. Remember? No, I never played it. Oh, you me. never played it? No. I mean, I have played it, but I have not played with you. Really? Yeah, I played on the phone app. Oh. <laughs> I guess, was like, who are you playing with without me? <laughs> But uh, Burgle Brothers is a stealthy game where you're moving around and trying to avoid stuff. But I like Burgle Brothers, but it didn't give me the same feel because you kind of moved around in a very uh, abstract way. Like the guards would always follow you, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like I was moving around a map as much as I was moving around a bunch of squares on like yeah. a board. You know. So for me. I haven't played any of the other big stealth games, so I can definitively say that this is the best stealth game I've ever played. I will say that I'm not sure if I will seek out another stealth game. Like, I enjoyed playing Burn Cycle, but I didn't love it. And maybe that could improve with more plays. Maybe the harder ones will be a lot more tense and a lot tighter, especially you talking about how during the network stuff, you didn't really think about it. Yeah. But maybe the harder ones could change how I feel. So my initial rating for this, uh, I think I'll give it like a 7, you know. I think it's a good game, and I think it does stealth well. I don't have a whole lot to compare it to. But at the same time, it didn't do enough for me to really say, like, I want to find more stealth games. You know, like, I don't, I don't care for a ton of combat in my stealth games. I enjoy Burgle Brothers. I think I like this better than Burgle Brothers, but also we can play Burgle Brothers in an hour yeah. and set up and tear down in an hour. Yeah. This took about three hours to play three levels, and that's I'm not even sure if that includes the rules teach. So, yeah, I like it. It's good. Not great, but maybe with more plays, if it kind of amps up the difficulty a little bit, it could be a little bit more tense, and I, I, I could see it getting up there to like an 8 out of 10. What about you? 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I would play it again for sure. Uh, I have no problem with that. But seeing as you've played it three times now, I'm probably at 90% of its play capacity for you before you move on to the next one. <laughs> Dude, why do you have to cut me so deep? <laughs> uh, I would play it again. I don't think it'd be my top choice if you, if you gave me other options. of game, In terms of, if, of games that I've already played that I've played before, I, I don't think it would be my top choice. I don't think I'd mind playing it again. I think... Maybe playing it at a three-player count at a maybe tougher scenario might be interesting in terms of tension. Because uh, for us, really, the tension was on the first floor. Yep. And also because we were messing up heavily. Um, <laughs> we made it harder for ourselves. Yeah, we making it harder for ourselves. We made it worse. But then two and three... We blasted no, through it. There was no point where I thought until we got to the third level where I was like, oh, we're going to lose mainly because we just ran out of time effectively. But yeah. On floor two, it was no problem, right? So two and three were easy. Uh, so I maybe felt like we spent like one turn on turn on floor two, and we were like out of there. Yeah, exactly. That was weird. So the maybe three player count would be nicer uh, and make it more kind of tense, just because you the know, track would move yeah, faster. Yeah, exactly. The track's moving faster, right? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I it was a stealth game, but I also thought could have uh, you know played stealthily because my. Uh, agent didn't, didn't have any combat abilities yeah. so i was forced into that um but yeah it, it now that you say it's a self game it makes sense but at first i never really thought of it as a self game i just thought i was really weak so i couldn't <laughs> find anybody this whole time you had no idea it was supposed no. to be a stealth game no oh i was just like oh i don't have any dice this guy's so weak okay so i'm just not gonna fight anybody all right random kind of like a tangential question would the feel or your perception of the game change if you had known it was a stealth game from the beginning like would you have said would you have said like oh this wasn't as good as i thought it was because i didn't know it was a stealth game or vice versa like something was worse because you thought it was a stealth game no but i think that's kind of back to what you were saying i i don't think we've really ever played any real stealth game so no. like there's no comparison right yeah we've played a lot of games where we don't fight stuff yeah so that's not that big a deal just but. like you know other games too because like i think about whenever we talk about mm, like say uprising you know if i told you like hey this is a co-op 4x where we're fighting two ais and we're working together like it kind of paints the stage for yeah how yeah. you how you approach this game but if, let's say I said, oh, this is like a co-op game, kind of like Pandemic, where you manage like the threats, like, I don't know. I feel like it yeah, might feel a little different. You might not be as, I would have like, been less inclined, I guess. The thematics yeah. would not have felt as cool as it was, because like, with the guards controlling and burn cycle, you're just like, oh, they're just guys roaming around. I could kill them, or I could not. But now you know it's like, oh, this is a stealth game. I'm not supposed to fight them. Yeah, so now knowing it, now that you keep saying that, it kind of like, oh, I don't have the option to fight them? Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to. Yeah, but yeah. I, if I, there's guards, I want to have that option if I so choose. <laughs> no, not even just have the option. Have the option and also be able to win. Because there was a times where yeah. we debated that. I was like, oh, it was we're not, not going to fight them because we're not going to win. No. There's no chance. There's no so chance. So at that point, not having the option kind of now i think about it, it's like oh yeah it's okay i only have i'm only gonna do one thing while i could fight them mm -hmm. i it seems like it's stacked way against the player's favor to fight them oh for sure yeah I, so I mean, at that point, point it's kind of like eh, takes yeah. away a wrinkle of you know 
of how you could win because I, I thought the whole time we could fight him. I'm, I knew we could, but I just thought we would just pick two super big weaklings that yeah. weren't able to fight them. So we had to do the other <laughs> way. So it just oh, happened man. to be we were forced into that. So I didn't know what the other ones, other agents could do. I guess I'll take the blame for that, for not explaining <laughs> the point of the game to you clearly. We still won, barely. <laughs> That's funny, though. But yeah, you know, my biggest my biggest issue with like kind of games that fall in this like good not great territory is it's not that I would never be opposed to playing, like I would want to play. But if we got together, if you came up to visit or if I came down and I said, "Hey, Chan, what would you like to play?" Burn Cycle will never be on that yeah, list. Yeah, no. I don't think I would ever ask to play Burn Cycle with you. We no. have so many games we could play. We I almost brought Unsettled this yeah. weekend instead because we played that together when you came up last, and I loved it. I yeah. wanted to see if we could actually beat that planet. <laughs> so, like, you know, I'm grateful that you indulged me to play Burn Cycles so I could podcast about yeah. it with you. But it's like, do I keep it in my collection? How many more chances do I give it before, like, I just got guards. Like, I, I've talked about this in, like, three podcast episodes already. I just got Guards of Atlantis, and I cannot wait to play it. There is no other game I want to play more than that game right now. If you live in Dallas-Fort Worth, you're listening to this, hit me up. I want to play Guards of Atlantis. I already have it. Let's get it to the table. But it's like I don't have that same feeling with Burn Cycle, so why keep it? I honestly don't think we'll ever play it again. Um the only time I think we could play it again is if someone saw the components in gen, like uh, the little minis. Yeah, those are pretty. It cool. it looks cool, right? Yeah. Like, and that would force someone could incline someone to want to play it. But in general, realistically, I don't think we ever will because even I, even though we played Cthulhu: Death May Die, for example, three or four times, I definitely. If you gave me the option now that I played Burn Cycle, okay, maybe I played Burn Cycle one more time before. Cthulhu again, but if yeah. you gave me the option and I played it twice, I definitely go to Cthulhu every time, right? I would play Burn Cycle for the sheer fact that I want to see if it can get better. Yeah. And if it doesn't, I just can't see when I like. I guess it's just maybe I don't love stealth games in general, or maybe this isn't the right stealth game for me. I mean, I've only played this in Burgle Brothers, but <laughs> I, it's just like you know, we talk about the limited amount of space. How many tries you give a game before you write it off. And then for this particular game, it's just like, I've got two solo plays and one play with you. I'm willing to give it one more try at a more complex scenario. Yeah. And who knows, maybe that complex scenario is going to blow my blow my mind. And it's just like, wow, this was awesome. I mean, I had fun, but I would have had more fun playing Uprising. I would have had yeah. more fun playing Unsettled. I would have had more fun playing Two-Handed Guards of Atlantis, which we almost did because I was going to punish you with that. <laughs> but I decided against it so we could talk about Burn Cycle, so I could decide if I want to keep it or not. So thanks. I appreciate you playing this with me. Mm-hmm. No problem. All right, y'all. Um, that's pretty much it for today. We are recording from Houston, Texas, visiting my dad. We're going to have dinner later tonight. Uh, please look us up on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is one chip wonder. Our email is oneshitwonder at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.